Today on Ag News Daily. I didn't know a lot about the Farm Bill at that time, but, you know, it was a hot topic in the news. And I thought there has to be a lot of people who don't understand the, you know, intricacies of the Farm Bill. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, your dad's also piping in in the background. Is that right today? Yes. Before we started recording here, he decided he wanted to give some ad libs, but I gave him uh, some cutting eyes and told him to cut it out. So hopefully (laughs) the folks at home won't hear his voice today. We always like a little extra flavor, dogs, kids, parents, whatever in the background. It just adds to the podcast, Ashton. Oh, absolutely. I know we've had our fair share of dogs. So I guess now my dad might be making an appearance. Hopefully not. It looks (laughs) like he's going out to the barn to do some chores. But I tell you what, Delaney, I am kind of excited that I am not him today. It's kind of a dreary day here. So I wouldn't want to be doing any barn work. Oh, is it? It's actually nice here in central Iowa. Pretty good weather so far, putting up the Christmas lights outside. So it's always nice when you've got nice weather for that. Yes, I I would say that it is uh, that kind of preferred weather if you're going to be putting up Christmas lights or anything. But we got some showers here earlier this morning, nothing too major, but it's still pretty cold and dark outside. Well, that is gross. That's not very fun, very seasonable weather. And I'm glad you brought up weather to start things off here, Ashton, because we're seeing some very timely weather happening, happening right now down in South America. Uh, rains, of course, are finally hitting some soybean fields for Brazil. Uh, beneficial precipitation has been seen in aiding soy, aiding soil moisture levels in key Brazilian soy producing states. And here over the next seven days, meteorologists are going to be watching forecasts down in Brazil pretty closely. But they're suggesting that we should see some pretty heavy rains fall over the nation's south and southeast. East. Now, of course, the big question here that we've been talking about a lot on the podcast is will we see enough rain to make things make good, supposedly, on crops down there in South America? And we're seeing re- uh, futures react to that today. We saw corn and soybeans uh, extend losses today. We're seeing, you know, South American rain really play into the commodity markets right now. But We've also seen prices rally to six-year highs. So it's a little bit of a give-and-take situation right now, but we'll be continuing to watch that to see really what kind of rainfall we actually receive down there in Brazil and Argentina. Well, Delaney, I want to take things pretty central here to the Lubbock area, but I want to ask you one question first. Okay, I'm ready. Is this a true or false question? Are you going to trick me? No, it's not a trick question. I just want to know if you're familiar with the four sixes. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm sure you're about <laughs> to tell me. Absolutely. It's an iconic historic ranch here in Texas. It's located actually in Guthrie, which is about an hour and a half-ish away from Lubbock. And so I pass it every time I go in and it's just an absolutely beautiful place. It's it's really iconic. I learned about, you know, their horsemanship and stuff in one of my, you know, horse classes that I had to take in college. And it's super interesting. I really love the history and everything everything about it. And it is actually being put up for sale after 150 years of operation. 
There's three properties on this ranch and it's absolutely huge, Delaney. I'm not kidding when I say that when I pass it, it takes like 30 minutes to get through mm. through the ranch because, you know, their fencing is all red. And so you can tell when you're, you know, by the four sixes and when you're not by the four sixes. But it's being sold in accordance with the will of Anne Burnett Marion, who owned the ranch. She was actually the granddaughter of Samuel Burke Burnett, who founded the ranch at age 19 with just 100 head of cattle. And the flagship property, can you just take a guess at how much the, the flagship property itself has a price tag for? Uh, I'm going to say, are we talking a B or an M? We are talking an M. Okay, let's say 60 million. 192 oh my million just for the flagship property. That's 142,372 acres of land hmm. just in that flagship property. And again, there's two other properties. And they're just iconic horsemen. They they breed horses. And so their horses and their their equipment are being sold separately. But that flagship property has the original house that was built, I believe, in 1917. That's still standing today. But in all, all three properties are being sold for $341 million. So this was... Are pretty- they... Question, are they keeping the flagship property? Are they keeping that 100,000 plus acres together in the sale or are they chopping it up into smaller pieces to sell off? From my understanding, they're wanting to sell like all three properties together. Mm. But with that being, you know, such a big price and so many acres, I don't know if that's, you know, going to be possible. But I believe that there have been a few bites at the property, even though it is so expensive. I can't even imagine the the person who's going to end up with this property because it's just so expensive. I can't even wrap my head around it. I don't know. But if you've got that much money, then I guess... Whatever. It's, yeah, that's a lot. I'm always amazed by big property purchases like that. Like, surely that's got to be a corporation or somebody that comes in and buys that, you know, but who knows? I don't know that your part of the country is definitely way different than my part as far as land, um, land goes, you know, I feel like people have big, huge ranches out there. You're close to Hereford, Texas, too, which is obviously a huge cattle producing area. Things are just different down there, but it's really neat. Things certainly are different. And I just, I want to add, because I just am kind of obsessed with the four sixes and Pitchfork Ranch is actually also on my way out there. So that's two iconic Texas ranches that I pass, but they also have a landing strip on this property. Oh, cool. That's like how awesome this ranch is. So I'm, I'm sad that, you know, the four sixes is being sold, but I'm excited to see what comes of it. Yeah, that's very interesting, Ashton. Fun piece of news for today. But switching tracks here just a little bit, Ashton, uh, President-elect Joe Biden said in an interview with New York Times that he has plans for negotiations with China, but he won't be immediately removing those 25% tariffs on the $234 billion worth of Chinese goods that are currently in place. He said instead, he's planning to reassess the situation and work with allies to pressure China to stop intellectual property abuse. Um, doesn't give any, it doesn't give a ton of indication as to what that means to stop the intellectual property abuse, but he basically said he's not going to make any immediate moves and he doesn't want to essentially tick off China um, with the phase one trade deal here. But he said that he thinks the best strategy moving forward is to work with 
uh, get every one of our allies on the same page. You know, Delaney, I'm glad that you brought this up because it's something that I was looking at as well. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit about what Joe Biden plans on doing when it comes to trade. And folks were talking about him doing, you know, multilateral, multilateral trade deals and things like that. But, you know, he's doing talking about this bilateral trade deal with China. So I definitely thought that it was interesting and I'm excited to see how he plans to negotiate things with China. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what that relationship's going to look like because it's going, I predict that it's going to be at least far different from, you know, mm-hmm. the relationship between President Trump's campaign or his administration and in China. I, I would too. Yeah. Uh, Biden's definitely had different tactics when it comes to trade compared to President Trump. So it's going to be interesting. I'm sure some people are going to be happy with it and some people aren't the way he handles it. And that's just part of the government, I think. But speaking of government, Ashton, we also had a big announcement today that USDA has put forth new farm income forecast numbers. They said that here in 2020, 2021, we should see pretty good net cash farm income for producers. They're clocking it in to be about $119.6 billion this year alone. And this would be the highest after inflation has adjusted some since 2013. So producers can expect, uh, you know, some friendlier market prices as we've been seeing here in 2020. They'll expect those to carry through into 2021. And that is really, that combined with demand and trade is really where USDA came in and said, hey, we think that things here in 2021 are going to continue to uh, move higher. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news to talk about today, and it's talking about the Food and Agriculture Organization's newest report. It claims that available freshwater resources have declined globally by more than 20% over the past two decades. FAO's Director General says that water scarcity and shortages in agriculture must be addressed immediately and boldly to address the problem. And I thought this was very interesting because at least down here, we're on the Ogallala Aquifer. And so a lot of our irrigation, at least for farming, comes you know, from the Ogallala Aquifer. And they've been talking for quite some time now about the deterioration of that water supply in the aquifer. So I found this quite interesting. The organization recommends what it calls sustainable development goals that include investing in water harvesting and conservation in rain-fed areas, rehabilitating and modernizing sustainable irrigation systems, and combining those with best agronomic practices. And that report also mentions the adoption of drought-tolerant crop varieties and regulated water markets that can provide equitable allotments while promoting conservation. So I thought this was very interesting, like I said, and I kind of want to look a little bit more into the report to see if they do mention the aquifer, you know, for for us folks down here in the, the southern region of the U.S. Well, I want to move things um, up here to the central area, to the plains. This story has been developing, and I've been slowly paying attention, but thankfully, a good friend of the podcast, Gary Rasmussen, has been keeping me up to date on this. And to be honest, I'm still kind of filtering through all the news myself, but the dairy industry uh, within the last couple of days here has said, has seen some major news, especially those folks who work with D- Dean Foods. 
we saw law firms send letters to dairy farms that have recently shipped milk to the former Dean Foods, saying that they are suing the farms for for a repayment of a portion of what they were paid by Dean for their milk that was shipped in the 90 days prior to Dean Foods filing bankruptcy on November 12th of 2019. Basically, uh, we saw these letters sent out. The law firm has stated that you should remain calm and that a settlement offer of a reduced amount payable to Dean Foods Company via a law firm in St. Paul, Minnesota, by a certain date, um, basically avoid paying what these letters are stating. And it sounds like there's a little bit of uh, confusion going on right now. But yeah, yeah. a little, little scary that we saw folks, farmers, being asked to pay back uh, their debt to, or not debt, but their income to Dean Foods. Um, so we'll continue watching that story. Like I said, I need to do a little more digging on it myself, but uh, it's been kind of a mess from what it sounds like. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. I'm a little confused myself, so hopefully we can get some questions answered here in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. Yeah, we certainly are going to have to do a little digging in that one, Ash, and maybe we can find somebody to bring on an interview about it. But uh, these claims that they're making are pretty pretty scary for folks that they might have to repay money that they were paid for their milk, um, pay it back in, essentially. Absolutely, Delaney. Well, like I said, I am all out of news for today. If you want to go ahead and have a market conversation. Yeah, let's have a market conversation, Ashton. And uh, corn was able to pull through higher on the day, but soybeans are still lower on the news that we are potentially seeing some rains down in South America. But one other thing here, since we're talking South America, we saw last week on Thanksgiving Day, roughly 30,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans were set to arrive in a southern portion of Brazil. Now, 30,000 metric tons is not a huge purchase, but really what it's pointing to here is that uh, Brazil has over-exported a lot of their crop for 2020. So they're really hoping, I think, here that their 2021 crop is going to be a big one, and the trade is also waiting to see what's going to happen there. But taking a look now at the markets for today. Let's kick things off here talking grains. The March corn contract added three cents today to close at 423 and three quarters. The December up a penny to close at 408. In the soybean pits, January contract shedding nine cents today to close at 1153. The March down eight and a quarter cent to close at 1154. In the wheat pits, Chicago December contract adding 12 and a half cents to close at 578. The March up 11 and a quarter to close at 588 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the live stock market green across the cattle complex as the February life cattle contract added 75 cents today to close at 113.92 and a half. The April up 35 to close at 117.77. Excuse me, 117.17. And in the feeder cattle pits, January adding 15 cents today to close at 141.80. The March up 32 to close at 140.97 and a half. And in lean hogs, weakness today as the February life 
lean hog market shed 87 and a half cents to close at 67.87. The April down 50 to close at 70.87. And dairy continuing to deal with some of that turmoil. I'm just seeing some breaking news now that I'm going to share on our Ag News Daily Facebook page for folks interested in checking out this news since I didn't do a great job explaining it today. But dairy big moves to the downside as the January contract shed 26 cents to close at 15.62. The February down three to close at 16.28. Now, Ashton, uh, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Today, we are talking to Marky Hageman, all the way from California. Well, for today's Wednesday interview, we are talking to Marky Hageman, all the way from California. Marky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. I am excited as well. I always love talking to groundbreaking women in the industry, and it certainly sounds like you have had your hands full over the past few years or so. But before we get into your agriculture advocacy efforts, why don't you tell us just a little bit more about you and your background in agriculture? Yeah, so I'm from Tulare, California, which is one of the largest you know agricultural areas in the country. And Funny enough, I did not grow up in production agriculture. Um, I I grew up um, very briefly on a dairy when I was very little, so I don't remember it. Um, my parents both really weren't in the industry, and I just kind of fell in love with it um, when I was in college, really. So I, I, I grew up showing animals in 4-H. I um, lived on a 20-acre piece of property that boarded horses when I was in middle school up until um, college. But, you know, I I didn't have a lot of experience with the business side of, you know, uh, beef or cattle or anything that I'm involved in now. So my story, I think, is a little bit unique just because I don't have a lot of background in it. Um, I went to college. I got my degree in agribusiness. And um, I have a lot of experience in ag communications, actually. So my background is very diverse when it comes to agriculture, even though it's a, a very um, you know, short time frame that I've actually been involved in the industry. So I want to talk a little bit more, I guess, about your ag communication stuff. You're a freelance writer. So and from what I've seen, your resume is quite full of the things that you have written about, how many stories you've had published and whatnot. But why don't you just delve a little bit more into that on the stories that you try to write about and what you're really um, interested in, I guess. Yeah. So when I first started out writing it, you know, I was writing a lot about actually the farm bill. Um, That's when I started writing for Ag Daily. And I didn't know a lot about the farm bill at that time, but, you know, it was a hot topic in the news. And I thought there has to be a lot of people who don't understand the, you know, intricacies of the farm bill. So, I suggested it to my editor and I kind of became a columnist on it and I was writing about it a couple times a week. And so when I started out, I did a lot of, um, you know, a lot of policy stuff related, you know, basic, you know, basic information about policy, but I did a lot of that. And then um, as I've kind of gone along, I've been able to, uh, you know, get, I've, I've been able to get jobs like with my job depends on ag magazine where I can write about the things that i truly want to write about. And so a lot of that is around beef advocacy, 
and, you know, different people in the industry. Like I, I've interviewed a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs that I've come to know in the industry through social media or whatever. And, you know, those people who are doing really great things. So I don't try to limit myself on anything. I think anything that I write about is an opportunity to learn about it. So if it's something that's even intimidating, you know, like policy or, um, you know, part of the industry that I don't know, I like to write about it because I'm going to learn about it too. So I, I do have kind of a diverse play of, of topics that I discuss in my writing. Absolutely. I think it's always best to kind of keep your options open there. I'm a freelance writer myself, so I try to do the same thing. But when it comes to, you know, the other things that you're doing, you're also involved or not even involved. I should say you're the co-founder of California Ag Today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I actually, uh, so I'm the co-owner with um, a couple other people. And California Ag Today is just a, a news net network platform. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the largest in California. And obviously, you know, California's industry is just crazy. You know, there we have over 400 different commodities here. You know, our economy is um, very self-sufficient. Um, you know, we're providing a lot of um, food and products to the world. Um, so there's a lot of things that go on here, especially with, you know, the political side, regulations and things like that. Um, so California Act Today, you know, we have our social media pages, we have our website, we have the podcast. Um, there are a lot of different things that we're involved in. I, I have a lot more of the social media and editing um, control within the, the website, but um, eventually I'm excited to kind of take that in, in new directions, kind of expand it more. Um, you know, get more people to come in and write for us. So it's, it's a good project that I actually just kind of jumped into this year. So I'm excited to see where it goes and to continue to grow with California Ag today. So you are from California. You're working with California Ag today. Do you ever see yourself getting outside of the agriculture industry in California and maybe, you know, doing some, some other stuff in a different state? So uh, funny enough, actually, I, I lived in Alabama for about a year and a half, and that's kind of where all of this started. That's where I kind of dove into the beef industry. I was part of their Cattlemen's Association, their Young Cattlemen's Leadership Program. Um, I was you know, part of Young Farmers. That's where I participated in my first discussion meet. Um, I, that's where I really fell in love with the industry. Um, and I also lived in Kentucky, so I, I've definitely been outside of California and been able to see um, some different states and how their agriculture industries work. Um, and when I came back to California, I just realized that there's just a lot of opportunity here for for ag, and I think that it's something that I coming from California and and having lived in another state where people were like, "You're a California girl," like. Don't you just surf and like live in LA? So it's I, I want to be able to advocate our industry here and be able to show people that California is so important for everyone. It takes all of the states working together. It takes everyone working together to make this industry work and provide enough food for people. So that's kind of my goal. I, I think I'm definitely stuck in California since my boyfriend 
and I want to farm almonds here. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those things. I, I think I'm, I'm stuck in California now. They're stuck with me. I have to agree with you. I think California agriculture is a very unique sector of the industry. And I am ready to talk about Girls Eat Beef, too, because this is really how I came upon you on social media. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about Girls Eat Beef, too? Yeah, so Girls Eat Beef, too, is um, just just a project that I'm so passionate about. It's a social media advocacy platform. I'm present on Instagram and Facebook. Um, hopefully we'll venture out into maybe the Twitter world, but Twitter's kind of harsh sometimes. Um, I just pretty much it's, it's my journey within the, the industry. It's, you know, it started just a couple years ago. Um, and I always like to humble brag on myself, you know, in, in December of 2019, I had about 800 followers and I just got to 4,000 um, yesterday. So I'm like, super excited to use this platform to not only showcase a beginner rancher in the industry, you know, because like I said, I, I'm, I'm essentially first generation. Um, my stepdad has cattle, but he and my, my mom got married when I was an adult. I never had any, um, um, any hand in his, the management of his cattle, even though I lived um, with him for a short amount of time in Alabama. Um, so my journey, I consider myself first generation because I'm kind of starting out on my own. I'm having to find the resources that I need to be able to, to have cattle. I only have three right now, but um, they're heifers and I'll be breeding them. Um, I like to showcase them. I like to showcase, you know, my journey in that. And I also like to use it as a, a way to empower women in the industry and just to empower women in general, be able to promote women who love eating beef, you know, women who love to have a, a juicy cheeseburger or steak and, you know, maybe not a salad all the time. And um, I also like to use humor to be able to advocate. I like to use memes. That's kind of my, my specialty right now. It's just, I create memes and I hope that just the comedy and the pop culture side of it expands beyond my tribe and reaches to people who are outside of agriculture, maybe they see that and they think, oh, that's kind of funny. And then they read more into that situation. So it's, there are a lot of different working parts on it, but my, my goal is to just advocate beef and advocate being a unique person in the industry. You know, you, it's, you can be a beginner, you can be a woman and you can still be successful. So that's kind of my goal with it. Yeah. And you make a, a good point about bringing up pop culture. I think that you know, that's definitely a trend we're seeing more in the agriculture industry on social media is bringing in, you know, pop culture and memes, like you say, and being a young woman in agriculture myself, I can definitely relate to some of the things that I've seen on your page. But I kind of want to take things back to you talking about wanting to grow almonds. And I really don't know that we've had a almond producer on the podcast before. So can you just kind of take us through the process of what that looks like on trying to go from the ground up on, on actually farming almonds? So I, I will admit I'm I'm new to that side of the industry. I've never been a, a crop or a, a tree crop person whatsoever. I've always been an animal person. Um, and then I met my boyfriend a couple of years ago and his family farms almonds here in the northern central valley in California. And um, uh, 
So what we have, what our struggle is right now is finding land. In California, it's very hard to find something that's affordable and finding land that's suitable to grow trees. You know, there's the issue with water. There's, you know, just the issue with the the soil health. Um, So our our struggle right now is we're trying to find enough property to be able to farm a, a suitable amount of trees to, you know, make a good enough income with that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. Actually, my boyfriend's dad this year had a heck of a time with his trees. Uh, you know, we were out there kind of when quarantine started, we were out there, um, pruning or turning the trees back, um, many times because they're, they were so heavy. They were overloaded. Um, he had a lot of issues with his crop this year, but they, they harvested in, October. That's kind of the, more of the fall um, time is when they start harvesting. Um, and he actually had a really great yield. So that was exciting. But there's a lot that goes into it more than I ever thought there was. Um, I I am definitely not an expert on that. Uh, I just know that I, I told my boyfriend, I said, we're just not going to make sure we're just gonna make sure that we don't have so many acres of trees that were overwhelmed because I don't know if I can help you with all of that. Um, it's, it's, it, there's a, a lot of work that goes into it. And I, I respect these almond farmers up here. It's definitely a um, trendy crop right now, I will say. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know if I can speak to a, a lot more about it. It's just going to be something I, once we actually get that land to farm, I'm sure I'll start advocating about almonds. I know there's a lot of um, controversy with some of that and the water usage and things like that with almonds. So I definitely want to make sure that people understand, um, you know, what almond farmers are doing. Absolutely. And I agree with you once again, that I, I respect the, you know, those folks in the industry that are doing the best they can with what they have. And Marky, I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. And just one more thing before I, I let you go, where can our listeners find you at on social media? They can find me uh girls eat beef too. Like I said, on Instagram and Facebook. And then I have a personal Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter um, it should all be Marky Hageman. Um, and they can follow me on, on those platforms too, just to kind of see what my life is like outside of, um, uh, beef cattle. Like I said, Marky, it was great having you on the podcast today and good luck to you and your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thanks again there to Marky for coming on today. Like I said, and Delaney, I think you might be able to relate to this, but I always love talking to, you know, women in the agriculture industry, especially those who are, you know, business owners and making headway, but uh, absolutely liked having Marky on. And I just wish her luck in her future endeavors. Like I said, there on the interview. Absolutely, Ashton. But we're always talking to great folks in agriculture, men, women, Uh, Even the few children from time to time talking about their endeavors in agriculture as well as what's going on in agriculture. So be sure to catch up with any past episodes you might have missed at agnewsdaily.com. You can also find us on social media, as I mentioned there, shared some Dean Food News updates on Facebook. You can find us at Ag News Daily, though, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.